What's up, folks? This is the Investor Weekly News Update for August 28th. We're going to be talking about what's going on with rents. Why is everybody moving to Texas, especially from those of you guys in California paying all those taxes? And what is going on with the beloved Subway franchises? But before we get going, I wanted to have some of these thoughts as of mine lately. With a lot of our family office members got kids and getting to that end game level for $5 million is obviously a goal. But in that time getting there, how do you pass on the wealth or of and then also the ideas of entrepreneurship as opposed to just working a a job where you have you know income coming in but how do you either turn that into an investment enterprise or become a business owner and make a much higher uncapped level of income entrepreneurship is like those carnival games that you see out there where you throw darts at something where middle class kids they can afford to throw a dart most miss, you know, maybe they call it that they don't have the drive to do it because their life is pretty good and they have a dozen of those big stuff animals at home anyway. And a f- when a few miss, but some will hit the target and get a small prize. And a very few of those middle class kids will hit the bullseye and get a bigger prize and become rags to riches. And then, of course, the American dream moves on. Whereas rich kids can afford many dart throws. And if they want to, they can try over and over again until they hit something and feel good about themselves. Some keep going until they hit the center of the bullseye. Then they give speeches or write blog posts about meritocracy. And the and, and this is what I think maybe this will happen with my kids where I was thinking of putting somewhere in the trust where they get a semi-unlimited amount of dart throws where literally at fifty or $100,000 of seed capital to go to some kind of entrepreneur venture where somebody, my trustee, looks at it. And as long as it's not totally an idiotic idea, they get that 50, 100 grand so that they can, you know, maybe pay for some ads or some coder or depending on what kind of business it is. But at some point, you need to throw so many darts at it. And especially when you go through all these iterations of failures and failures and you've learned things from past failed businesses, you, the whole idea is you tend to get better at things. And maybe by the fifth or 20th dart throw of burning up daddy's 50, 100 grand on this next business venture, maybe they've gotten better and they might actually do something well, or at least... They've used all my money to, instead of just partying with cool people of high impact, they're able to get to a point where they can utilize those relationships and have to some benefit through the business. When you think about it that way, it's like, how can you not hit a home run with that? And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, man, it's the poor kids out there. They're not even visiting the, the carnival. They don't have the relationships. They don't go to the private schools to get access to alumni networks or be friends or go to birthday parties with these influential families and eventually influential people. They're the ones working the carnival, taking the money and giving out the darts for having other people go ahead and take a swing at it. And that's sad. I think you do see a lot of cases where it's like that poor kid rags to riches, or maybe that's just the middle class kid who gets the only afford to throw one dart at it. But I think this is why I don't really follow like Bill Gates and the Elon Musk of the world, because they were the rich kids who were able to throw a gazillion darts at the board. And I personally never had a million darts to throw at it. I did. We started 
investing 2009 and then in 2015 16 started this whole podcast when nobody else did podcasts and i think that's what really started the business for me and i never really threw a dart at it per se i just did it as a side gig which i still think is the best way for most w2 employees to start a business do it while you're working your job if you guys want more information about that i gave a speech at simplepassivecashflow.com slash quit for you guys to learn more. But again, moving on. So apartment demand rebounds as rent growth further cools. 2023 apartment rent growth is slowing while demand is rebounding. Second quarter net absorption nearly match new supply. So after a huge upswing in 2021 and this kind of retraction, looks like we're getting back to a point where Apartment demand is normalizing this year, um, yet it struggles to keep up with the increasing supply as there's a lot of new units coming online. And you always have new units coming online, but sometimes if you think about kind of water pumping through the system, sometimes that that flow, that supply is a little bit more than other times. And that one of those kind of times is right now, but should subside maybe in the next quarter or two. Apartment owners should prioritize occupancy over rents due to increased supply options leading to lower rent growth. So that's something definitely we're looking into going into Q4 of the year, which is traditionally a slower lease-up period. It's just getting headed to beds, doing what we need to do for concessions and just getting driving up the occupancy. Not hitting those higher level rents is seen as yeah, it's not the season for that at this point in time with a lot of this new supply coming online and, and adjusting our expectations to that. Here's a chart from real page of month over month change in the U.S. apartment asking rents. You're seeing what kind of happened in pre-COVID. And then what I would do is look at the 2022 versus the 2023. The 2022 is that darker blue. And then the teal is the 23. And you can see where it is almost a third of where today Asking rents is about a third of what it was in years prior to. And I really like this metric because it's a percentage off what it is currently, as opposed to some plus $200, $300, $100. It's, all, it's relative in this manner. And you're also seeing the seasonality in this graph from the different months. Obviously, from um, you're going to have a lot more increases in the moving seasons from January through August as opposed to September, October, November, December, which are traditionally slower months. But who knows, right, what's going to happen this year. Next article here, Californians are fleeing to Texas where homes and the cost of living are cheaper. So various reasons here, many Californians are living in Texas due to rising costs. Uh, about 100,000 people are mo- moved from California to Texas in 2021. Texas offers a more affordable lifestyle compared to California. I would also add maybe like 5 10% less in taxes, especially on the income tax side. Texas has a favorite income to cost ratio with lower housing prices. Medium household income in Texas is $67,000 and the median home price is $362,000. And California has a higher medium household at $84,000 with the medium home sale almost double at $796,000. California cost of living is 39% higher than the national average. And in uh, Dallas, this was one case, a use case. This guy bought a 2,800 square foot home for $500,000 after paying $2,400 a month for a small apartment in California. 
but we ha- we do talk a lot about people moving from California to Texas, especially because the income tax is a lot lower, which kind of makes more sense for the people out there who are retiring, switching over to that more tax efficient model. That said, you're going to always get paid more in those high price areas such as San Francisco and or, or California. And that may be what's needed when you're trying to build up that first one to two million dollars net worth, right? You have to pay a lot of taxes to be in that high income type of area. Sure, you might be one of these lucky individuals who is able to circumvent all this by remote work, but generally speaking, you're going to be in a higher income range if you're living in these types of areas. If you guys are interested in joining our community, make sure you join at civil.com slash club. But moving on, we are looking at the top U.S. multifamily rent growth markets for quarter two, 2023. Reading these off, Nashville, St. Louis, Central New Jersey, Boston, Denver, New York Metro, San Jose, Dallas, Houston, New Jersey, Fort Lauderdale, Seattle. So which I think what you're seeing here is a lot of the bounce back. I'm seeing a lot of Boston, New York, San Jose, Northern New Jersey. A lot of these were the ones that were beaten up 2020 with the pandemic. And you're seeing a lot of this demand coming back. I'm trying to look down this list. I don't see any Boise, which everybody thought was going to be the best market ever in 2022. And now we're seeing a little bit back, bounce back to the normals. With some of these, if I'm looking at this list, the Nashville's, the St. Louis's, the Denver, the, the Dallas, the Houston's. Fort Lauderdale are those ones I would key on more. This is moving back away from the Sunbelt dominance as it once was, but I still think the Sunbelt dominance is still in effect. This is just a little bit of the bounce back from the trough for 2020 for a lot of these markets, namely the New York and the New the Northeast kind of corridor. Average effective rates increased by 3.8%, a decrease from the rapid rate pace in 2022, which was 10%, 2020. One, which is 12.8%. And then finally here, a little bit of fun thing here, says Subway. If you're like myself, you're probably tired of Subway. I must have ate Subway like 200 times from like 2000 and then, or every year from like 2010 to 2013 when I used to work on the road. And the only thing that was available to me was Subway. So I'm going through a little bit of Subway withdrawal even a decade later. But Subway is seen as back then there was a big, private equity push to get Subway all the way out there. And now there's a little bit of brand fatigued, obviously. The big thing with Subway is these guys don't change their menu or they try to, but it's the same damn thing. A private equity company, Roar Capital, offered almost $10 billion to buy the, the company. They manage $37 billion in assets and they specialize in franchise and multi-location businesses. So it lands up well with their prospectus. So this is the first time Subway departs from family ownership. And that kind of makes sense, right? Because I think a lot of people have been hearing Subway has been struggling and it's a time for them to maybe cash out. Maybe if you look at it from like a an investor point of view, you've got that cash flow in the meantime, you, you saw it grow a bit and now it's time to take it to pastures and get it to another company who specializes on this type of operation or maybe see some kind of avenue to value add the franchise from here. Uh, who knows? So maybe you might see some fresh ideas from coming from Subway. And I personally don't think I'll be going back. Or, but who knows, right? Or maybe I'm an untapped customer. If you guys are interested in the podcast, check us out. We are going to be rebranding to the Wealth Elevator here very shortly. So Simple Passive Cash will be going away. And 
Um, this is all in advance of the new book, which is getting to be over 200 pages. But if you guys don't have much time and you guys want to do a quick read, just go and check out my first book. I think most people say they knock it out in three hours, but the journey to simple passive cash flow found on iTunes. And then if you guys want to check out the free audiobook version, you can go to simple.com slash book and we'll see you guys next week. Bye.